Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the other episode of If You Know You Know, the show for Web3 creators and enthusiasts. I am your host, Belle, and each week I'm joined by Web3 experts to, to bring you the latest trends, opportunities, and perspectives from the creators who are really shaping the future of technology and art. Nothing we ever say is ever financial advice, and it's always important to do your own research. If throughout the space you have any questions or comments, please request to speak, get on up here with us, or just type it down in the bottom right-hand corner chat, and I'll be checking that throughout the show. I am so excited to talk to our guest today. It's not always that I get to have a friend up here, Brian. I'm so excited to have you on here, and so welcome again to one of our shows. You're actually one of the very first first people that joined us on If You Know You Know, and I am so grateful for that. How are Hey, good to be back. An awesome intro with Interpol. I mean, that's, I, there's a lot of intro music I see in the space, and that might be the coolest one I've, I've heard so far. You know, if you know, you know, right? Come on, you gotta, you gotta make it a little bit different every time. I don't know, it's one of my favorites. Um, I discovered this new thing when I started hosting Twitter spaces that I should have always been a DJ because um, I really, like, I seriously enjoy playing music and playing the music that I always like. And then, um, and then a funny thing, I actually enjoy playing them at the end and seeing who continues to listen to the whole song or who drops off because then that tells me, like, what my, what my DJ audience likes and what I can play next time. So... <laughs> uh the things you discovered i love that there was i did a podcast with d's uh six months ago and at the end i mean it was like a two hour three hour podcast so very few people watch the end but the very end I, I pitched this idea which is you know i would love to just host a music hour spaces where there's no guests but you just play and you dj music and it just becomes like a morning radio music show i feel like there's there's still a window for that because there's no legal rules for like playing music on Twitter. So you can like be a pirate radio essentially. Brian, I literally tweeted that out about a year ago and I was like, Oh, I, I stole just... your idea. Okay. Yes, yes, you stole my... <laughs> That's my idea. Let me go back and find that post. <laughs> you should do it. You think I think it's, well, I mean, you could do it. Well, you could do it with music you love, or you could do it as just a way to promote like music NFT artists, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that both of those ideas are really dope, and and you're right. Like there is, I think there's an opportunity for that, man. I'm telling you, DJ Bell coming at you in one year. That's exactly how I'm, how people are gonna know myself. Like I, I I can envision this whole thing that at IRL NFT spaces, this is what I'm, you know, th this is what I'm known for. I'm telling you, it's a whole concept that I've been working on for, and now you're validating my. I won't. Stupid, I won't do it. Idea. You. I'll let, I'll let you do it. It's something yeah. I'm always like, oh, that'd be a great idea. And then I'm like, oh, I have to go buy like equipment and all this stuff. I'm like, ah. You actually have to do it. Yeah, you actually have to do it. Um, no, there's no equipment involved in it. But even if there was um, a story for another time, but I have like uh, this entire vinyl store here at my house. So um, maybe, maybe that is something. Oh, yeah. Do. You told me that. You yeah, I did tell selection. you that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have like literally, I have an entire store front here in my house. For any of you guys that don't know that, my late husband was um, an avid, avid music collector. He was an artist also. And um, 
which funny story is actually how I like why I got interested in Web3 and artists and music and all that kind of stuff. Right. But anyway, he passed away and he left this literally an entire store. His dream was to open up this record store and um, and have like, you know, a, a spin of artists there and and um, uh, speakeasy type of vinyl record store meets. I don't know. I that he was just this tremendous hipster, but that kind of vibe. So I have that downstairs and I could totally do it. I'm telling you, Brian. All right. We always like to have you or any of our guest speakers tell us something that literally no one else knows, right? If you know, you know, just for the community. So I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about music. Favorite band that like that you listen to that are almost embarrassed to say to people that you listen to that music. Oh, man. Um, I don't know if I'm embarrassed by it. The The band I listened to the most in the past five years is probably Portugal, the man. I think they're awesome. But if I, you know, if I had to say like my favorite band it would be cursive. Uh, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska and like this big emo music scene. And that was like the music I grew up in like high school. And so I'm like always, even though like that's gone out of fashion for the most part, I still listen to it all the time. And I, I just takes me back to this like angsty teen, uh, life. Um, but yeah. I'd say did, those two you, bands. did you ever go through that emo phase? Oh, yeah. I mean, growing up, it was like Bright Eyes was from Omaha, The Faint, Cursive, all these bands. Rilo Kiley was on Saddle Creek Records, which was like the, the thing. So it was like, it was, it was, a, it was all a bunch of sad, a sad, <laughs> sad high school kids back in uh, 2001. That is hilarious. Yeah. Well, tell me, I mean, all those sad. <laughs> So many people take inspiration from that, though, right? I mean, has it shaped who you are right today? Um, I think it shaped me to a degree, yeah. I, I mean, one, the music was sad, but there was also a ton of really cool music videos and screen prints and art coming out of that scene. And I think that had a big impact on me. You know, there was this kind of like DIY indie music scene at the time. And then going, I went to college in Philly shortly after that. Um, I don't know. I do. Th I do think you where you grow up becomes your identity when you're like in college and you're like, oh, I'm from here. And that becomes like your temporary identity until you figure out what your real identity is. Uh, and so I do think it had like it imprinted um, an aesthetic on me. Omaha, Nebraska is such an unexpected place for an artist that is known today as, you know, was literally voted one of the most influential um, NFT artists in the space. You have a plethora of things on your repertoire. You have, um, you know, Super Rare and Sotheby's and Emmy award winning. And the list goes on and on and on. And Omaha, Nebraska is almost the last place that I would expect from you to say that you are from. How does one... <laughs> How does, but I love that because I think that it adds a completely different levels, you know, and complexities to it and journey to it. And I think that, you know, to your point where you come from shapes you um, and, and, and moves you forward into something and experiences that, you know, other people don't can't say the same from. Right. Um, I think you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in Basin now, right? Uh, New York area. Yeah. Um, yeah, up, yeah, up yeah. In, like yeah. Westchester, so very close to New York City. Um, I'm in the city all the time. I will, oh. yeah. But uh, 
Was there a question? I think yes, there was, right? Biggest, yep. As I was leading to, yep. Okay. Biggest <laughs> difference now in, you know, if you could go back to, you know, the, the young Brian Brinkman and like give yourself some advice to, you know, the high school uh, senior, 18 year old Brian, who's now living this completely different life. Um, what, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I do, you know, this is going to sound silly, but I do, I feel like I've reverted to that version of me to a degree because back then I spent most of my time making digital art, posting it on websites like Newgrounds, seeing if people commented and liked it, you know, posting on social media and writing like live journal blogs and stuff like that. And now I feel like I'm kind of doing the same thing. I went through a, a a very adult wave of like 15 years of working in the industry. And now I'm like back to like, you know, basement making art phase of uh, my life. So I don't know. That's kind of weird, right? I think that there's always a child in all of us. Right. And I think that sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we forget to be in touch with that person. Um, but creativity uh, lives a thousand percent in that person. Um, and yeah. everything it's, it's your happy place you know it's like if if someone asked me like what would I want to do for a living it would be ha hanging out on my computer making art and like connecting with people and that's always been the through line of my career for the last 20 years what does community mean to you mm. um hmm. I think it's just surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals whether it's artists or collectors or you know even the dgens of the space you know everyone has a similar motivation it kind of goes back to what we we're talking about with like you know everyone in omaha had this like connection so if you meet someone that's also from omaha out here you're going to say oh we have something in common you immediately have that connection to start a relationship um I feel like same thing with art, same thing with NFTs, same thing with all this other stuff. You can go to any of these conventions and there's an immediately a similarity. You know, you, you, people could be on different waves of the political spectrum. They could be totally different states and all that. But there's a there's a connection there that there's a belief um, in, you know, digital collectibles and digital art. And I think, you know, to me, that's that's where the community is. It's this shared ideology that we all kind of uh, believe in and support. Happen to be one of your Discord community members, and you know, um, I've stepped away from Discord. I think recently, just because I actually want to ask you about that, but just because you know the world and we live in, man, gosh, it's hard to keep up up a hold of everything. But I gotta yeah. applaud you, Brian, because um, I, I say this firsthand: you're very involved in your community, and one of the things that I that I admire from you. Um, are connections that you make, like that you bridge from collector to collector. You're not just a passive artist. Um, you do things like when someone is trading or when someone is posting something because of financial hardship, you you actually go out of your way to see if someone can help or to connect those collectors. Is that something that... Um, yeah, I mean, that's just... I it's a good question. I I don't while there's a financial connection in terms of collectors, there's just a, a general connection in terms of support. And you know, there's people in my Discord that don't own own my art yet, but they're still part of the community and they're still 
people that I'm connecting with and having, you know, conversations with, I think that's just, I don't know, that's the fun part about this space. It's, it goes back to what I said when you'd post a cartoon on the internet and someone would write a comment under it, whether it was positive or negative, you were getting an emotional, genuine response from a real person. And that's just always, I don't know, that's always fueled me is this kind of, if I make this, will people react this way or this way? You know, it goes back to my early animation stuff. You'd make a comedy cartoon and then you'd show it in a theater and people would laugh and that would just fill you with so much joy. Or you'd make a sad cartoon and you'd see people crying and that would fill you with a different kind of joy of like, uh, I feel terrible that I made them emotional. But at the same time, like it, it's such a success that I was able to invoke emotion in somebody. And I think that's just that's the fun part about art is that we're able to hopefully evoke emotion and being able to connect with collectors in that way is so different from, you know, what what I used to do in the past where I would sell in like galleries and then someone would buy the piece and the gallery wouldn't tell me who bought it. And then I would say maybe like one out of five times a collector would DM me or reach out and email me and say, Hey, I bought this and I'd have a connection, but most of it just went off into the ether and I never knew what happened with it. With NFTs, there's not just a moment of like, Hey, thanks for buying this. But then it's a moment of, Hey, you're in this journey with me and we can be a part of this. And you know, my successes are your successes and you know, my failures are shared as well. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, that's, that's always been the, the exciting part about the space that has always resonated on a deeper level with me, at least. There's been some conversations online that I've been observing and kind of staying outside of because, you know, the, it, it can get touchy. But there have been some conversations on Twitter, especially about what the role of the collector is. And you may you may have seen them yourself, Ryan. If not, I want to I still want to ask you the question because I think that it's an important one. What comes first or what what? is the order for it? Is it that the artist should be educating the collectors on what the value is that you bring to it? Or is it the collector should be educating themselves on the value that the, that your art brings? Huh. That's a good question. I, let me think on that. It's the, what I've seen recently is a lot of talk about like narrative and like, what is the narrative? If is art aesthetic or narrative? I think it's often both. It's up to the artist to define why and how they made the work, because only they can tell people that aspect. But then it's up to collectors to share that and add on to it with their experiences. I mean, I could make a piece that means X and Y, and then a collector might see Z in it, and that adds more to the overall narrative and story. And so it's a shared journey in my mind, but in terms of telling people what the value is that's up to the collector really because they're the ones that are going to be trying to flip it for more money um i think it's it's important for artists to build narrative you know sometimes i i'm thinking back of like when i started i used to write blogs about all my things similar to the thread i put out today where i kind of broke down what the pieces are and what they mean and how i made them but it, there was collectors at the time that were like don't tell me what the art means that i want to I don't want to be told what it means. I want to decide what it means. So there's going to be different collectors that want different aspects, but I do think it's better for the artist to dictate the story. Otherwise someone else might. 
Do you think that the NFT space, you personally, right? Because I think that we, we hear a lot of, of the word narrative used. And, and for sure, I think that a lot of NFT artists or digital artists use that um, as, as they're building it. Is that something that you like really put into high gear when you started doing digital art? Or is that something that you've always weaved throughout your work on the narrative of it? And because because you your your career not only has been traditional artists, but even before that, um, I mean, you worked full time with SNL and Tonight Show. And I really want to know you know, the the narrative of being um throughout your entire career has always taken place with the emphasis that it has been right now as a digital artist or is it like high gear because you're in the community now of NFTs? Hmm. Well, just thinking back on like the difference between then and now, then I was, um, I was a tool uh, for writers uh, to tell their story and visualize it. And so, you know, when I late night, a writer would tell a joke and they say, hey, we want to do this bit. It's about Mario and he's doing this. And so then I go animate it and then I make it visually funny uh, and make it work and have the timing and punchline work. But in the end, I'm telling someone else's idea and I'm kind of uh, it's in the similar to like if you were to ask AI to do something. Um, and so to me, that never felt as creatively fulfilling as me creating something and telling my own, you know, me being the narrator of the story, if that makes sense. Uh, and so those were great jobs. I appreciated them and I learned a ton from them, but it didn't fulfill me in the same way. Um, and then, you know, what was the second part of the question? Being a digital artist or working in NFT, has it, has it, um, made you kind of double down and and really you know do the narrative on steroids no i think it so different platforms and different drops to me have different requirements of what you're trying to do so my super rare one of ones or like my bigger collections like my my drop today stored memories they're going to tell a bigger story that talks about myself and talks about my feelings and talks about my perspectives uh, then I like to sometimes do drops that are more aesthetic and it's just, uh, you know, technical experimentations or, you know, abstract art. Um, those don't have to tell some sort of deeper meaning, but sometimes I'll allow them to, you know, going back to like my love of like emo songwriting, songs about writing songs. A lot of my art is about making art. And so like do drops, um, which visually just comments on the mechanics of the drop itself. I think there's something fun about that that isn't some sort of huge, deep story, but it's still self-reflective of the reason for it existing. Uh, so that that's kind of my, my take is that, you know, I look at platforms, if I'm doing a drop on Nifty Gateway, often I'll be like, oh, that's a site for like, you know, thinking back on college when you're like, what, what kind of cool posters could I put on my wall? I feel like the art for Nifty Gateway is playing to a demographic that just wants cool looking stuff uh, versus if you're going to do a drop with, say, you know, Sotheby's or something, you want to tell a deeper story that's going to resonate uh, as a narrative. And so I, I, I do think it's a balance of all of the above. And it's kind of deciding, you know, if the piece represents me or if the piece is representing the mechanics or the platforms I'm dropping on. 
Oh, I love that. I love that you said that you were also a tool and now and now you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, tell us about the new drop for today. Yeah, so my, my new drop was with uh, Unit London, which is an awesome gallery. Uh, they've done drops with IX Shells, Tyler Hobbs, Lovid, all sorts of awesome people. Uh, primarily a traditional physical gallery, uh, but they're, they're moving into the Web3 space more. And so uh, the drop today is three pieces that reflect on a, a narrative, <laughs> uh, but um, this idea of you know the memories that we create, how we preserve them. And for a lot of us now that we've been in a computer age, a lot of our memories are stored digitally, whether it's photos or art files or any of these things. And the pieces all kind of reflect on the digital data that the fragments of memories and all these other things that we collect digitally make up our identity that will exist years after we're gone and how in my mind blockchain is solving for a digital preservation future that's stronger than hard drives or cloud computing and all these other things that are you know finite materials i look at you know I don't know if anybody else does this, but I buy like a new hard drive every two years and I transfer all my files from one hard drive to the newer hard drive because I know hard drives only last X amount of years. And I'm like, oh, I want, I don't want to lose these things. And, you know, you have backups on clouds and all these things, but those can go away if your subscription fails or whatever happens. Um, there's always this fear of like, if I lose all of my digital memories, do I lose myself and so the, the, the pieces kind of reflect on our identities and that. And then also there, it's kind of an educational thing of like, you know, think about how you're backing up your stuff because it's up to us to create the, the memories that will be remembered for. Because, you know, uh, to me, a lot of what we think about in life, it's like how, how will we be remembered, whether it's through children or philanthropy or through art. Um, we're all about just kind of like trying to create a legacy that we're remembered. And I think with blockchain, we have this opportunity to kind of immortalize, you know, fragments of ourselves onto the blockchain forever. Mm, that's that's deep. And I actually have a lot of questions regarding okay. that, right? I mean, I don't know. Immediately, let me see how I can pose this. Immediately, that makes me think, do you think that a person that does not have a digital identity yet can be memorialized in the way that they want? So that's a good question. I think there's, you know, you think about historically how people were remembered. There's the, you know, the pharaohs and stuff with like pyramids and stuff. But most of the time it's a, it's a tombstone and an obituary. Um, and those obituaries are preserved on certain websites. Um, a lot of times... You know, someone someone was telling me the other day about like obituaries and like if you write an obituary, don't make it about like your accomplishments, but make it about the things you liked and to give people a, a vision of who you were as a person versus like what you accomplished. Because in the end, the accomplishments are often not about you as a person, but about your jobs and all these other things. Um, but it should be like Brian liked to play video games and he liked to do this and he liked cats and all, you know, and give people a, a, an idea of who you were as a person. Sometimes you see like tombstones that do that to a small degree. Sometimes they have like recipes on them or something to leave little fragments. Um, 
but for the most part, those things are all that remain 200 years later uh, because, you know, multiple generations have gone down and people don't remember and, you know, photo books get lost and all these other things. So uh, this, uh, this idea of like we live in a time that as long as the Internet exists, um, these fragments could theoretically exist alongside it and our identities will be kind of preserved in a different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Do you think that AI changes in that? And, and be, I think AI that, can. I wanna... yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, go, go, ahead. On. go ahead. Okay, go for it. I was just going to remind everybody that I pinned up to the top a tweet about this particular room. If everybody could retweet that, that would be amazing. Go ahead, Brian. Um, I think AI is going to get really interesting in that because we've left all this digital data on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, photos, whatever, um, in the not too distant future, there will be the ability to recreate similar, similar-ish people. Uh, you know, sometimes you know, I think it'll be, you know, a ninety-year-old in an old folks' home might put on a VR goggle and then be able to have a conversation with their, you know, deceased family members. You know, some some weird coping type of AI thing that allows you to have these moments with people that you've lost. Um, it's very Black Mirror-ish, but I, I foresee that happening. Um, and the question is, will we control our digital identities in the future, or will it be owned by Elon Musk or, you know, all these people? Uh, so, that you know, that's up to us to, you know, construct the version of us that will be combed in the future, I suppose. That's such a... Um, um such a big question, you know, whether our digital identities are something that we control or is it Elon Musk or any of the others powers that be the people that be that control. What do you yeah. do personally? Should we take patents out on ourselves? <laughs> That's wild, you know? That's wild. Yeah. I mean, um, in, in an in a era right now in which you log on, I mean, talk about deep fakes right um yeah i was watching i think i was watching a j-lo commercial or, or somebody somebody uh Nicki minaj i think it was was like posted or retweeted some uh, a deep fake that had been done on her and in the most ridiculous type of way and she was like what in the hell is this i hope the internet dies after this right um <laughs> It's so hard. What do you What are you doing as an artist to be able to, as a digital artist, to, to be able to control your own narrative and your own persona and your own digital, you know, person? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, it's my art. the The things I'm minting onto the blockchain tell the story of my experience in the space. Sometimes it's more um, like sub subliminal or subtle. Um, but I do think the, the works I put out reflect me and my experience. Um, so I'm hoping that will shape um, what leaves behind is my art. I think to a degree, there will be things in the future where we can mint photographs and things like that. But um, yeah, I don't know. In terms of putting that out there, I think it's the amount of content you put onto the internet that, that will eventually shape who you are. But the question is, will that content last? You know, I, should we be putting out like 
biographies on ordinals and stuff like, you know, <laughs> things like that. That's like, how do you, but then again, it's like, that's all lost in the mix of Bitcoin. How do you make sure people find it? I think there'll be more and more things like that, but I don't know. I don't know the exact answer in terms of like, how do you make yourself a foolproof immortal? But it's, it's the questions I'm hoping people start to solve. Yeah. Ordinals actually has a place in that, doesn't it? That's one of the very first things that people started talking about when ordinals, when Bitcoin ordinals came about. One of the very first things that people started saying was, oh, this is a fantastic opportunity to inscribe things that that are just for you, that you just want to immortalize, that you don't want to lose. It's immutable, et cetera, et cetera. Are you looking at ordinals at all? Um, I've collected a few. I haven't minted any yet, but I think it's really fascinating, and I really love what um, Danny with OnChain Monkeys has done with recursion and all this interesting stuff. Because it's like all the same things that make like art blocks run could be done on ordinals very easily. Because you can just you can upload the entire like JavaScript and PSJ five. You could like you could theoretically upload like Windows ninety five onto ordinals and have it be a full running like program. Um, so it's pretty fascinating in terms of just like on-chain, um preservation but i'm sure it'll continue to evolve and do even crazier stuff but yeah i don't know i haven't figured out i to me the work in order to mint it is really tough and i'm waiting for it to be a little more seamless before i i put out a drop because i again talking about preservation like I feel like a lot of the ordinals that are being bought right now are probably on flimsy wallets and will get lost because people will lose their um seed phrases uh, <laughs> uh, ever, n never ending problem in this space I see a lot of artists and musicians in this space shout out to all of the friends I was listening to recently a Twitter space that they were having I, a couple of people or familiar faces that I that I that I see in here um, were hosting and the topic came up on if you are an artist or a musician in this space and you want to continue um increase discoverability and your collector base how do you you know as an artist play around with those ordinals do you go to tezos do you go to, do you go to all of these other ones or do you try to bring them to you where you're nice and safe and comfy on ethereum what are your thoughts on that <laughs> um no i've 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 certainly played around with different chains and it's, you know it's always a learning experience of what will work and what doesn't work. I I was a part of the first Polygon PFP project called Art Fatars. That was, you know, arguably a forgotten project, but it was a cool project with a lot of artists collaborating. Um, I did uh, Immutable X with Collective, um, which that drop has, a, has also had some interesting moments. I mean, it's like X Copy and Joy and all these awesome artists did it. But again, it lives on a weird chain. Um, and so, I don't know, sometimes you have to take these risks and sometimes they pay off and sometimes they don't, but I, I, I'm always kind of looking at like, what's, what's the bigger idea for me? It was like Polygon made sense because gas was starting to get crazy. And I was like, oh, well, 10 K projects should be on a different layer two, uh, because they're always traded and they're, you know, all this. And to me, I was like, oh, it's inevitable that that'll happen. In the end, it didn't really happen. Most people are still minting 10K projects on Ethereum and losing, you know, 30 to $50 every transaction. So no one's really learning their lessons. But I think down the road, uh, it'll become 
more more frequent with like Arbitrum and Optimism and all these things kind of coming out that are hopefully going <laughs> to offload some of the the high the high mint uh, projects. But yeah, I think it's always good to try new things. I, I like Tezos. I collect a ton of Tezos art, but um, I don't know. I I could never wrap my head around how to go about minting on it in a way that wouldn't like offend the people that bought my Ethereum work uh, at a certain point. Now I think Tezos has gotten to the point now where things sell on a comparable level, but that first like six months, everybody was just selling NFTs for like five bucks or like $2. And I was like, I don't, if I do this, it might just totally d dilute and offend everybody. So listen. What's that? You're breaking up a little bit. Sorry. What was the solution? Is that better? The solution was I just I just collected on there and I didn't mint anything. Smart. That way, no offensive. Yeah, smart. Who inspires you in this space right now, Brian? I mean, hmm, there's a lot of people in here that are just in this lobby that inspire me. Uh, Ed Balloon's awesome. He's doing amazing work. He has a new um, generative project coming out. Siobhan, awesome. I got to see her speak in L.A. And just hearing her talk about the persistence of asking uh, it was so inspiring because it's something I think most artists are afraid to do. But just cold emailing and then re-upping re those emails goes such a, such a far way in terms of getting things accomplished. Empress Trash, super inspiring. Seeing her rise in the past few months with like Sotheby's and all these amazing drops. I feel like she's like on this awesome... Uh, incline seeing Mumbot, what she's built with Ghost Club, super inspiring. Uh, it's an amazing collection of artists uh, putting out awesome drops, and so I mean I could go down the line, but I'm you know I'm inspired by so many people all the time. But I think that's the fun part about the space is that we're all learning from each other, and so whether things are work or don't work, we're all watching each other and learning from those successes and mistakes. From your perspective. Um, what do you think is the hardest thing right now for an artist? And I, and I ask that in a world in which so many people have left in the past six months or so, right? Maybe, maybe, yeah, about six months ago. But in the past, and, and this is a cyclical thing, of course, but more and more when you go into these social circles of, of Twitter, social media of Twitter, a lot of negativity starts to creep in and it goes, you know, on the on the feeds. But it, you also start to hear it a lot in Twitter spaces. And one of the things that um, that I always admire about you, Brian, is that you that you truly do stay like, positive. And as trivial as that may sound, it's hard for a lot of creators and for a lot of people in the space to stay grounded in positivity when the world them says that it is colliding. And I say that, you know, with a grain of salt, even in my opinion. Um, but from your perspective, what do you think is, you know, the, the way that you stay grounded um, and to avoid all of the other noise that is perpetual in a creator space like this yeah well thanks i mean i won't lie it's the, the noise does take an effect i mean you see that negativity if if it's a really negative week it it'll bring me down and my, you know i i try not to perpetuate it like you said 
you know, there's plenty of things in the space that make me roll my eyes and be cynical and, uh, you know, things that make me super infuriated at like <laughs> obvious scams and stuff. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, as a, a small voice in the space, uh, the, what you put out there does resonate and in the same way it resonates me and bums me out. If I was like super negative all the time, I think people would have a generally negative view of the space. And as artists, um, we have to, you know, be positive. And while the space has its ups and downs, we're still very far up from where it was three years ago. Um, it, the fact that we can have careers where we sell art digitally is still mind-blowingly amazing. And it's hard to take it, you know, it's it's easy to take it for granted because things were so awesome for like <laughs> six months, two years ago. Um, but we're still, you know, able to make art and sell it, which is insane. Um, so I'm, I'm, I try to always have that glass half full mentality about things. And then, um, yeah. Was there another part of that question? Did I answer it? No, but I have another question for you. I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm a very inquisitive person (laughs) and, uh, I want to, I want to stop and thank you, Brian, for, you know, first, first of all, for joining us. Um, but second, I've always, part of the reason that I love having these shows is to tap into the minds and the brains of people who are here to not just, you know, gatekeep a lot of the information and a lot of the opportunities, but also share. So with that said, I'm going to open up the room if anybody wants to come up here and, and, and have any questions or, or, you know, just give a, give your kudos and throw your flowers at Brian, um, the request to speak down there. And um, come up, hang Brian, I've. Yeah, I've run into you at a lot of IRL events. And do you ever get hit by imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you handle that? I, all the time. I, I, it never goes away. I don't know. Maybe that's part of my emo upbringing. But um, yeah, I've always struggled with self-esteem. I think part of it is, especially when you go to art school, you get um, critiqued. Uh, very heavily where you put stuff on a wall and then everyone looks at in the room and they, they just get, you, they tear you apart. And that's how a lot of art teachers and, and you know, teach lessons. Um, and so there's always that like fear. Um, and especially because the space you're looking at a feed with people that are making life changing money on a daily basis. You're always like, am I doing enough? Am I making my collectors happy? Am I, you know, being authentic and all this other stuff. Am I over shilling? You know, there's, there's never a a time where I feel like I'm doing everything right. Um, but that's, you know, that's part of it is like, you're, you're constantly learning from everything you do. Um, but yeah, the imposter syndrome is real. Uh, it happens before every drop. I mean, the past like 24 hours, I, I was deep in it. (laughs) So, um, and then, you know, I that I don't think it ever goes away, but I think that's also that that kind of drive that keeps you continuing to be creative and pushing you to keep going out and trying to to grow. Um, but yeah, I mean, any it's it's it would be a lie to say that when I see huge successes that I don't take it personally to a small degree, where I'm like, oh, you know, why why am I not? hitting those marks or something but i know i'm also aware that it's a very foolish way of being but it's also just embedded deep within me so i can't do much about it i mean as foolish as it is i think that it's part of being human right it's the most natural thing that we could 
do um, and feel. And I think that um, it's also something that makes you incredibly relatable. And from my perspective, even a better artist, you know, I think that that, that, that creative creativity is something that you can lean into and, and learn from those experiences. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always curious on how other people deal with it because I certainly always, always and forever, no matter what roles I have been in, have been something that I struggle with. So I appreciate yeah. that. I think it's, like I said earlier, it's, it's taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture. You know, it's like, you know, you'll see a, a thing and it's like, oh, we're doing a drop and, you know, the next Sotheby's drop has all these artists. And you're like, oh, I'm not in there. Um, but then you take a step back and you go, oh, wait, no, I've actually done so much amazing stuff and uh, you know I'm traveling all over to all these things and you know it's 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 a it's a tough i don't know how to describe it but there is this like you have to take a step back and be like oh thankful for what you actually have versus like being jealous or you know feeling like an imposter because you haven't done everything because it's impossible to do everything it is impossible to do to, to do everything. Um, I do have a, a Empress Trash. I'm going to get you up here. And while she is connected, biggest success, Brian, that if you could look back and say, you know, this has been my proudest moment, what would that be? Oh, man. Um, I think, hmm. Proudest moment? <laughs> no, that is a tough question. Uh, I don't know. Be becoming a full-time artist, uh, you know, quitting my jobs two years ago, even though that wasn't like an accomplishment. That's like the opposite of an accomplishment because you're like <laughs> quitting. <laughs> but to me, it was an accomplishment that I had reached a point where I could pursue my dream full-time. Um, and then every accomplishment after that solidified that moment in a way that made me feel accomplished. You made it. You made it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. And I love to see all of those moments when somebody is able to say that. Because shit, it ain't easy. But you did it. And I think that you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Impus Trash, how are you? Welcome to the show, friend. How are you doing? Good. I just wanted to come up and give Brian love. and Because I love you, Brian. And thanks for shouting me out. And I like my question. It's a good question. Um, and I asked this to like a lot of artists who have gone through the gamut is how do you keep enduring and how do you keep going forward, especially in the moments that you have like the FUD and the self doubt and the imposter syndrome and all of that? Because I think that's really important for people to know and like because it's <laughs> it is a skill almost and i'm just always interested in how people cope with it so yeah yeah well i think there's there's, there's two parts of it one is uh my career i'm i worked in like say my fashion advertising i had people over my shoulder directing me in in my ear and being negative and all that stuff uh so i developed a thin skin working at late night, I would say two thirds to three quarters of everything I made there um, got cut and never aired. And so at a certain point, you just develop this kind of shield emotionally that you don't, you know, you can, you can let it slide and you go, well, it didn't work. Well, whatever, there's always tomorrow. And I think that that has helped me a lot. 
And then the, uh, the biggest aspect is going back to the community, being in chats or meetups with artists that can relate and talk to you about those things um, has been crucial. You know, if there's ever a time where I, I'm feeling real down the dumps, I can always hit up someone like Adam who's in the audience and say, hey, man, I'm going through this and this and have an ear and someone to talk about it with. Um, and, you know, someone that can relate. I think we're very fortunate that we have this space, then we're all so connected because we all can have that relating. I mean, thinking about when the right after COVID and all the artists started meeting each other in real life, there was such a deep emotional connection because we had all gone through this weird thing that only a few hundred people had gone through scattered throughout the world. But at those meetups, there's this camaraderie of like, oh, we're all dealing with the same BS, you know? And so I think that's always been um, something I've leaned on to make me not feel so alone or so, um, you know, depressed about things not going great or whatever. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to build that community? Um, well, I was very fortunate. I mean, when I joined the space, this was over three years ago, there wasn't that many people here. So it was very easy to connect with anybody because the, everyone was just so excited anytime any artist joined the space. Because, you know, thinking back then, it was like Coldy and Sarah Zucker and Matt Kane and, you know, all the, you know, Empress and all these trash artists like Rob Ness. And like it was, it was a very tight group of people in Discord and Twitter. Um, and, you know, back then there wasn't all these YouTube videos on like how to do NFTs. You know, it was it was going into those chats and DMs and discords and asking questions and getting, you know, conver conversation responses that taught you how to do anything. And so I think that that's always been super helpful. Early on, um, I had a call with um, John from Super Rare and I was like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. And he's like, Nobody knows what they're doing. Everyone's winging it. Don't worry about it. And like that, that put me on this path early on where I was like, oh, okay, it's, there's not a set thing. It's just whatever you want to do is what you want to do. And what happens uh, is, is totally random. So I think that, you know, hearing those type of things early on gave me a lot of, I don't know, confidence to take risks, I guess. I think that that's such a good way of putting it. Nobody knows what they're doing. To this day, I would argue nobody <laughs> knows what they're doing and they're still building it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that it's so obvious when it's like, say like Jack Butcher, he didn't, he, he did those open editions. He didn't really know what he was doing, but then he figured it out as he went and turned it into something really strong. But that's the magic of the space is you take these risks and then you can always fix any mistakes with the mechanisms that exist in the space you just have to keep making interesting stuff that people connect with um so it's like if you over mint that's not a problem you can do a burn mechanism you know there's there's that's what's special about the space that doesn't really exist elsewhere is that you can kind of fix and gamify anything um and so the, the risks are not you know as long as you don't like take a, a two a trillion dollars and run away or something, you know, you can always fix your mistakes. And as long as you're active and pot, you know, and keep, keep, uh, keep going. So stored memories drops today. I'm seeing on here on the website that it goes all the way until August 8th. Is that right? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think it's like a four week thing. So there's going to be more content coming out in the coming weeks. Like, like uh, they came to my house and filmed me working at my computer, which is very silly. And then um, we went to um, Central Park and I drew on some rocks. It was all very. Uh, it felt like a. <laughs> it's like it's a very. Um, artificial way of how i create i don't i don't go to central park and draw on rocks very often but um it looks cool on camera um and so yeah that'll that'll be a fun because the way it's structured is more like a gallery show so that's why we didn't reveal the art until the actual site went live today which is so different from what i'm used to where you reveal the art and you build hype and then you say okay it's going to happen in five minutes and go uh and this one it was like the opposite where it's like here's the art take it in if you want to buy it buy it it's a more relaxed way of going about it and so uh, i'm curious to see how it goes because it's so it's, it's 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 such a different approach than what i'm used to in the space but it's also kind of i'm hoping that the people that buy the art are buying it because they like it and what i've seen so far that is the case there's no like hype involved with it where it's like you got to get it right now and so i think that's what I think that's what the space needs right now is more thoughtful buying. That's a really interesting thing. I was just about to say that the space almost needs that, right? It almost shouldn't even be, be like um, uh, what the art is going to be versus what the art is and how much yeah. you love it, right? Yeah, the art shouldn't flip for for 5x immediately it should flip for 5x in a year you know i mean that's or whatever um i don't want you know nfa all that but um yeah i think that there's this expectation that we need to get away from which is this kind of like sneaker drop mentality of like the kind of people that are selling tickets outside of concerts where it's like i got a first and i gotta pay more um it should be whoever wants to actually own it should be the ones that get it at the at the price that they want to get it at. And that's, it's hard to achieve. So I'm hoping with this drop, that'll be the case. What is your philosophy on collectors flipping it at a later point? I don't mind it. I think it's important because it establishes the prices that will then dictate what my next drops go for. And so I can say, okay, well, my, my floor is X, Y, Z on these. And then for this drop, I'll price it, you know, maybe half of that so that people that buy it are getting it at a discount compared to what the, the overall thing is. Um, and that way, you know, uh, so I, I always find it helpful because you need to, as an artist, you need to know what your current value is. And if no one's flipping your art, you really don't have any idea um, of what your value is, um, at least on the secondary. One of the things I find um uh what's the word um different about you amusing but also super relatable and very cool that you and i uh have talked about throughout you know the other channels is uh you're such a degen at heart which i think <laughs> is hilarious <laughs> yeah how do you live in both worlds um well i mean i'm a degen to a degree i i i I go through waves. If there's something I really connect with, I can be a real degen, but I don't, I'm not out there buying like fat Zookies and like trying to flip things that I have no belief in. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. I think of, you know, if I see the potential and I say, Oh, well, this is clearly valuable in my mind. Um, I'm going to buy two of those you know, and I can sell one down the line if other people think it, but um, yeah, I don't know. It goes in waves. I do think as if you're active in the space, you have, a level of alpha just from looking at Twitter feeds and discords and you can kind of get a, um, 
you know, you can read the tea leaves and kind of say, oh, this project has a lot of hype. I think there's potential there. And then you can play the kind of the D-Gen game and try and mint it and flip a few and something. But um, I've certainly held many things to the bottom <laughs> uh, because sometimes, you know, well, uh, you know, as you grow in the space, it becomes a lot harder to play those D-Gen games because then people will follow your wallets and call you out and do all this stuff and then you're like oh well this isn't <laughs> this isn't fun um that's the yeah that's the bad part about it but even the fact that you know what fadzukis are you know i mean okay give me a shout give me a, a heart if you know what fadzukis are right now because brian certainly did so <laughs> no <laughs> doubt that you knew it as soon as it dropped versus the well, average yeah. person you know that's not a dj it's like what the hell is that so yeah. I think it's hilarious how how like on it you are. Well, I'm. I mean, I I genuinely love the space for the art side and for the collectible side. Like like I said, I, I collected vinyls, I collected toys, I collected screen prints. I'm a huge collector at heart too, and so you know I love collecting art. Um, I I feel like I pick up a few art pieces every single week. You probably once a day, if anything. Um, and then most of that stuff I'm not buying to flip, but just because I, I'm really proud to collect it and I think it's really cool or I like have a belief in the artist and want to see them kind of get elevated. Um, but yeah, the, the truth is the degen side of it can help sustain your bills um, if, you, if you get a few lucky wins that make it so that you can price your art a little cheaper on the next drop and not, not stress about... Um, you know, making, making your payments and all that stuff. So I don't know. I've, I've had some luck on the flipping, but I've, I would say uh, overall, I'm probably down. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I think we're all down, but, but I mean, Hey, but it's been fun. Yeah, right? but, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stupid stuff that I'm like, I don't, I don't worry too much about, um, because I don't, my general rule is I just don't pay more than like one ETH for any PFP or anything. So I'm playing small games. Um, I, I would never go and buy like an, a Zuki at 12 ETH or something. That's just like, it's way out of my comfort zone. And so I think that has protected me from having like massive losses. Smart, smart person. Guys, if you're ever like wanting to follow <laughs> the most degen artist, I am telling you right now, follow Brian. He is on those <laughs> uh, silly, silly things, but I love it. I think it's so different, you know, uh, and fun. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I want to ask you a little bit more about the drop for today. There's a digital component to it. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so uh, this drop is, I guess, theoretically, it's my first um print in the nft space i've done infinite objects and i've done some prints prior um to the nfts but this will be my first like legit print drop and so one of the pieces in it uh memory loss which is an addition of 50 it's an nft that's animated and then it also comes with a huge print it's 30 inches by 30 inches on this really nice paper um each one will be hand signed numbered and stamped and then uh, each one is its own unique print as well. We're um, kind of like a generative art project. Each one's a one of one of X. And so each one pulls from a different frame of the animation. So no prints will be the same. And so I'm really excited to um, see that and kind of go out and see what people do. I mean, it's so exciting to see people like wearing my merch around and the idea that someone might buy one of these prints and 
frame it and put it in their house is so exciting to me. So I'm really proud of it. I love that. I'm taking a look at it right now. And I also want to ask you about dead man walking. Yeah. So that's, that's an animated piece. It's 10 editions. Um, And that piece kind of, you know, all, all the, the drop is kind of visualizing this idea of who we are, our identities and how they're connected to our memories. And, you know, so a dead man walking, it's, it's a person that's created or it's visualized and created out of uh, error pop-ups. And so every, you know, it's this idea of like, as, as we're dying, our internal computers are falling apart and all these, you know, there's, there's, there's a few different meanings to it, but it's, it's kind of a visual that's fun to look at, but then, on a deeper level, it's kind of a visualization of like loss of life and loss of memory. That's deep, Brian. What's one word that you want us to take away from today's drop? Take away what? You cut off. From from today's collection, from today's drop. Um, hmm. Preservation. Preservation. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can totally see that. I love I like that. Um, today you're hosting a Twitter space, right? I don't know what BST time is, but I know that it's BST. Oh, that was actually an hour before this. This is my second uh, spaces of the day. Okay, got it. The time zones got me all, all it, confused. It threw me off. I, I thought my yeah, job was no, at one today like, and it was actually 12. So I was like, someone in my Discord was like, it's actually live right now. I was like, oh. <laughs> so oh did, you make it? did you make it on time? Yeah, it was fine. Um, I just... I had to put out my tweet uh, 40, like 55 minutes earlier than I thought I had to. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, it's actually live. People are buying it. Um, but um, yeah, no, it was, it was fine. But yeah, I've been, I've been getting those time zones mixed up constantly. I always get the time zones uh, mixed up. I hate, that's one of the things that I um, hate to be in charge of whenever I'm setting a meeting and there's like an international call um, because I know that I'm going to screw it up somehow or I'm, the wrong thing somehow and uh, inevitably I do so uh, be aware of that if I'm ever setting a, a meeting with you <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, ask, ask me to confirm that again and again because seriously that is the last thing that I that I'm able to keep up with so anyway Brian, great. Been, you're on central time right I am I know so to me it's like easy peasy right in the middle everyone <laughs> else is the ones that are wrong not not me you know there's a benefit <laughs> to central time that people don't quite get which is everything airs an hour earlier um even though it airs at the same time because it's always like central eastern time but like growing up i got to watch conan o'brien he would come on at uh you know 10 30 at night out here it would be 11 30 at night in new york um this is the benefit of being in uh, the central time zone is you get all your shows an hour earlier that's right that's right thank you brian for giving me validity to to that <laughs> to always messing <laughs> up on everything uh yeah. man it's been such a pleasure having you on here i don't want to take away too much more of your time we're already at the hour and a little bit more than that but i always love having you on here what's something that we can expect from brian you know in the next um year oh in the next year um well I'm, i've already started lining up some interesting drops um, um, let's see what, what can I say? I'm going to do a gallery show in New York in the fall. That's going to be kind of a retrospective with a, a couple new pieces as well. I'm really excited about that. And maybe I'll, you know, I'm looking into some like fun physical things that can do, uh, that can happen there. And then, um, next week I'm doing, um, an airdrop 
for async uh which i haven't announced yet so i'm giving i'm giving out alpha right now that if you own my cloud poppers nft you'll get a, a cool little um thing that ties into the async uh, uh last supper project which I, I think is a cool project um and then yeah there's yeah there's gonna be some fun interesting stuff i think the next real drop i'm doing will be a one of one in august so and then uh, a charity drop for a lot of money uh, to raise money uh, with Trevor Jones and the Castle Party in the fall as well. Ooh, I want to know more information about that. That'll be fun. So that'll yeah. be with uh, Maker's Place. That'll be my first Maker's Place uh, drop. But that'll be a one of one that is going to charity. So I'm excited about that. Very and nice. Those are all I, loved, I loved a lot of money. So the more the more attention for him, the better. Very nice. I love that. Brian, what can we do to support you on all of that journey? Um, just come hang out in the Discord sometime, say hi. Uh, or, you know, sh- get, give a retweet on uh, the, new, the, new, the new project. Yeah, retweets go a long way. <laughs> this this <laughs> algorithm is tough right now. Uh, I feel like everybody's fleeing Twitter, so uh, it's very tough to get over the noise. Uh, you know, it's all... It's all Andrew Tate videos right now. So how do we get how do we get past that? <laughs> are you? I mean, obviously here we are in Twitter Spaces, right? But what do you think about that? Are everybody fleeing Twitter right now? I don't know. I think it's gonna. I think social media is going to become less and less powerful, and it's going to be about um, tight knit groups on Discord and e newsletters and working with kind of platforms that will help market more effectively than us as individuals because i feel like in the same way that instagram kind of made it so artists and photographers had less of a voice i feel like twitter's going to become much more political in the next year as the election comes up because that's where their money is going to be made and so i think about nfts flourished in the post-election years of uh 20 2020 and so i'm hoping Maybe it'll be the case again that after the election, people will want to get away from fighting and get into collecting. One thing I know for sure is that the people that are still here, those those that are still creating, those that are still, you know, collecting, those that are still interested are here for the very long term and have the best interests at heart. And those people are going absolutely nowhere, whether it be the platform of Twitter or whether it be in any other, you know, platform. So um, those are the type of conversations that I am looking forward to and that I am super interested in. Those are the type of, type of conversations that, you know, me personally and through the avenue of NFT Girl, we like to have, right? Because I think that the vision, there's, there's so, there's, the vision is so much longer and bigger than what we are seeing today. I could talk on a whole rant about all of this topic on here. Um, yeah. But, well, you got, but you got some awesome important. shows lined up, too. We do. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we do have some awesome shows. We have Cody coming up, Ro coming up. I mean, yeah, uh, Snowfro coming up, which I'm super nervous and excited about. Don't tell him I said that, but I really am. I mean, <laughs> Snowfro is the, the kind of guy that you should not be nervous about. He's the most 
kindest down to earth guy in the entire space. It's kind of, you know, it's, it's not what you expect, but I mean, it is what you'd expect, but he's, he's extremely nice and thoughtful. Um, and Coldy's great. When you talk to Coldy, ask him about our trip to Dubai. All right. I will. I absolutely will. I'm going to write that down. What is he going to say? Is it? Uh, I don't know. He'll probably tell you some silly stories about <laughs> me embarrassing myself in front of royalty. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can't wait to hear that. Well, I mean, it, it, do you have any stories about how Coldy embarrassed himself? And then we can make it even. <laughs> um, no, Coldy's too cool. He doesn't. He's. He never he never looks foolish. I agree with that, actually. I do agree with that. Yeah, I could have a better conversation with Coldy like on uh, here on Twitter spaces or, or, you know, over the phone, whatever, versus in person, because there are some people I still again talking about imposter syndrome. I still live with this whole thing that there are particular artists or people in the scene that just seem so cool for school, you know, and he's one of those. Yeah, well, he's. He's just been doing it for so long that he's he's got like a, a hard shell, but he's a softy. Um, now he's great. I mean, big shout out to Coldy. When I first joined the space, he was one of those people that vouched and elevated me. I did um, a charity drop for him where he he got a bunch of artists to make pieces about cats and raised money for a cat shelter in L.A. And like being a part of that show with him and Matt Cain and Alada and all these people kind of put me on that level where people, you know, it validated me, you know, to a lot of the OGs, which at the time, you know, that was, that was who I, you know, I wasn't trying, there wasn't big collectors in the space that were like spending lots of money. So I was just like, I just want to be, you know, cool with all these OG artists and stuff. Uh, and so Coldy, Coldy was one of the people that gave me that kind of boost, uh, which I really appreciated. It's those kind of people that are going to, uplift generations of artists in the space if you ask me it's those kind of people that we need to like always be there and to uphold them you know um i'm so looking forward to that conversation because uh, you know I, I don't just throw around the word og a lot space um i don't know unless a person has earned it truly you are one of those that i would say so i appreciate um, that but yeah. i i would i would yeah i never felt that way though because there was so many because i joined in 2020 the very beginning of 2020 but there was people that had been in the space three years and so i've i've always struggled with that but i do think the space is i think anybody that is active for more than a year becomes an og by default in this space um and so now i do feel old because so many people have come since <laughs> but um yeah i don't know i i always struggled to like when people called me an OG because it felt disingenuous towards all the people that really, really built the space before I even got here. I don't know. That's a good problem to have though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt like I was in, in somewhere in between the OGs and the new wave of, cause it was like, you know, super rare gave out OG passes to everyone that minted uh, December, 2019 and before. And I minted in January 20 or February 2020. So I missed it by a month. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'm not an OG. And then, it, you know, the fall, six months later, is when uh, all the Instagram artists, the Beeples and the fuck renders and all that joined the space. And that felt like another wave. And so I was, I was always like, what, where, <laughs> where am I in this? Uh, you know, am I a boomer or a millennial or whatever? Um, 
so that that's always been like in my mind i was always like i don't know where i fit in the the historical aspects of like oh genus <laughs> you're somewhere in the middle of it you're but you're but you're on the og spectrum though somewhere yeah in there. <laughs> for sure i was definitely there before um i was in the pre-beeple you know the p the pb era yeah. Even though people did mint like in 2020 or something, like Denver, um, he, he's technically extremely OG. I mean, yeah, he technically is. I, I don't know about, yeah, it, it almost doesn't even matter when he came, right? It's the fact of what he's been able to accomplish in the space. I don't know. Does that count? Yeah. Well, I think he, it, it wasn't about him as much as his ability to elevate the media perception of the space. Um, there was that, you know, once he sold it Christie's, I think um, that was when the art side of the space exploded. And so like there was, there's a distinct difference between when there was lots of articles about NFT art and there was uh, literally none. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, there was a, a few moments where like Matt Kane sold something for like a hundred thousand dollars. That was a big deal. Um, and like pack would have a couple of sales in like the, the, the $50,000 range. And like, those were big deals within the space, but those weren't making national headlines. It wasn't until that big people sale that people saw that and then took interest and started joining. And then you saw a huge wave of artists join. Um, do you think that a lot of new artists are still joining today? Mm, not a lot, but there are new artists joining all the time. Um, I just think it's, you, you asked a question earlier that we didn't really get into, which was like, what's the hardest thing for an artist in the space? And to me, it's discoverability. Um, it's just so hard when you join the space to stand out and tell your story. Uh, there's not a lot of platforms that are built for that, even though it, the, there was this aspect of walled gardens back in the day. And it's like, oh, you can't get on these sites. and But those sites were validators and uplifters of artists like once you did get on them now because anybody can in anywhere it falls on the artist to kind of elevate themselves and it's just super hard um i think the path we've seen in the past year has been people that started on tezos built up a community and then they branch over uh to the ethereum side has been the successful path because that community is still very tight and they're uplifting of small artists and it's easier to collect them because they're super cheap. Um, but I, yeah, there hasn't been tools and I've talked to many platforms and tried, you know, pushing them to build things that are just like, if you like this artist, you might like this artist because maybe their art style is the same or they share collectors. You know, there isn't a lot of metrics for like, if you, you know, if you like Adam Tastic, well, you know, 20% of his collectors also collect, uh, you know, Rebecca Rose. And so you might like her. Like, that seems like such an obvious thing that you could do with the chain that someone hasn't really done and kind of like shared collector bases. Um, and so I'm hoping more stuff like that comes about that makes it easier for discoverability. I can tell you that discoverability has, something, has been something that has been on our minds for quite a long time having worked with nft girl and, and the team you know you met us the team behind us there at nft girl and working with so many artists and so many creators discoverability has been something that has been brought up again and again and again and again and it's something that it is you know we're, we're hyper focused on um 
because that that is a huge problem. And again, when you throw in the AI component of it, right, it makes it even more confusing and um, uh, harder for an artist who is not um, automatically in, you know, in, in the know or well-versed on how to market themselves and, and show themselves, et cetera, um, it makes it that much harder. So for sure, I, I, I think that a lot of the solutions that you're, that you're already saying should be a no-brainer. Um, but more than that, it should be um, a lot easier than what it is today, for sure. Yeah. Ah, I think it'll get there. It's just a matter of um, waiting. Once the market shifts back towards art, I think a lot more tools will be in place for that side of things. Step by step, little by little. And the more that we talk about it and put focus on it, then the more that, you know, it comes up in the conversations and, and people actually pay attention to it. And I think that knowing that there's a problem is the first step towards a solution. Right. So, yeah, I think that you're that you're spot on. So that yeah, is going to be. I just sorry. recommend everyone go look at my my vault wallet and just buy all the art uh, from all the artists that are in there. I'm just kidding. That, that's like the easiest way. Go ahead. Everything. <laughs> I thought you were going to say go into my vault and buy everything that I have minted. <laughs> yeah, buy my bags. No. Um, but no, I think I, I really think like if if you're looking for artists, go look at what other artists are collecting. That is the best way to find new art. That is very true. And you are so open about that. And you're very, you're, you know, you're very vocal about every time that you collect something that you that you share it with the community. At least it feels like, right? I mean, I follow you, and I feel like I I, I see that a lot. Yeah, uh, I I often call it, you know, the show and tell aspect. You know, when when you collect something, you want to tell people and show them. It's very exciting. I don't know. I'm very proud whenever I collect a piece. I got a piece on foundation yesterday. And I'm like, I I went showed my wife. I'm like, look at this. Here's how it's made. It's so cool, right? And I tweeted about it. And, you know, that's that's the fun part about it. And then you know, down the road, you can curate it and do stuff with it. But, um. I don't know. That's that's the you had earlier. Like, what's the role of a collector? It's like that's the role. It's being excited and sharing the art that you like. Love it. All right, Brian. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you want to share with us? Um, one other thing I should mention is I'll be speaking uh, at an event at South Street Seaport uh, for this project called Founder, um, which is an offshoot of. ChangeDAO, which is a charity platform that I've been helping build for years. Um, and so um, I'll be, you know, it's on my, it's on my feed, but if anybody's in the New York area, come, come hang out. It'll be fun. I think it's going to be me and Elise Swopes. And uh, we'll be, we'll be talking about uh, very exciting stuff about uh, working towards pressuring the government to do pro crypto legislation. <laughs> So everybody wants to come listen to it's going to be fun though, but I'll be sharing my story. And I think uh, Kelsey's in Kelsey's in the, the chat right now. If you see her, give her a follow um, for info on it. But um, yeah, I think that'll be an important part of the space that we haven't talked about much, which is how can we shape the legislation about crypto instead of just complaining about it? I love that. It's a very boring yet necessary conversation. <laughs>
Kelsey, I just gave you a follow back. I appreciate that. And I mm-hmm. love Elise. I think that that's going to be a really cool conversation. Yeah. No, when I'm is excited. that taking place, Brian? Oh, my goodness. I got to find it. <laughs> well, the next thing that I was going to tell you was to make sure that you pinned it up here. But um, you probably don't have that. <laughs> that's okay. We'll go to We'll go to your page and we'll figure it out. Okie dokie, everybody. I appreciate all of the time that you have given us. You literally could have been anywhere else, but you chose to be here with us and following um, Brian. Brian, it's always such a pleasure to have you on here. Seriously, come back and join us at any time. It makes me happy to see all of your success. And it makes me happier even still to see that no matter when I talk to you, whether it's this year, last year, or even the year before that, you're the same person and you never change and never do change. (laughs) Thank you. And likewise, you and NFT Girl are both awesome. Um, and it's such a pleasure. And uh, oh, and uh, that, that talk I'm doing is Wednesday, July 26th. So uh, at five o'clock at Bright Moments down by South Street Seaport. So whew, I got it out there. But thank you again for having me. And thank you for everyone that came and listened. I really appreciate it. You had hustle to go back and find that information, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I had to scroll down my Twitter feed a little bit. Oh man, I love it. All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Make sure that you're following me, that you're following NFT Girl, that you're following Brian Brinkman so that you can know everything that is happening with today's um with today's drop and the talk that's gonna be happening soon. If you didn't know, now you know. Guys, we have amazing speakers lined up for the next couple of weeks. So I certainly hope that you take the time to join us and uplift all of the creators that are moving and shaking and getting shit done in the NFT space. That's what it's about. We do this show every single Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you didn't know, now you know. I'll see you next week. Have a really good one, everybody.
Woman, I'm a motherfucker, but they got a problem. Put some babies in your life and take away the drama. Put the paper in the picture like a diorama. Gotta face a lot of people that are opposite. Cause the world told me we ain't got that common sense. Gotta prove it to myself that I'm on top of shit. And you would never know a guy without a goddess. Is honest, is fucking honest, kidding. I could be on everything. I mean, I could be the leader, head of all the states. I could smile and jiggle it till his pocket's empty. I could be the CEO, just like at Robin Fenty. And I'ma be there for you cause you want my team, girl. Don't ever think you ain't head of these niggas' dream, girl. They wanna pit us against each other when we succeed. And for no reason, they wanna see us end up like we Regina or Mean Girl. Princess or Queen, Tomboy or King. You've heard a lot you've never seen. Mother Earth, Mother Mary, rise to the top. Divine feminine, I'm feminine. 